1: Welcome to another edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Welcome. Um, I hope you're uh, wherever you're at, you're doing okay and, and uh, getting ready for some spring-like weather or, or maybe a little warmer depending on where you're at, um, certainly. And hopefully uh, you've dodged some of the severe weather if, if you're listening from uh, the southeast. Um, hopefully uh, you've done okay through the floods and the heavy rain they've had over there um, as, as those things go. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, head on over to uh, where you get your podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to us, please do so. Um, also, hit the like button if, if you can do that. And most importantly, head over to CE Impact, who produces these uh, episodes, and take a look at at uh, the uh, CE packages for pharmacists for this and on a number of other uh, excellent uh, programs. I was actually talking with uh, the, the, the the CEO of, of CE Impact yesterday, and she you know she reminded me that that uh, uh, there are a number of really really good CE programs for pharmacists out there, everything from journal clubs to COVID vaccine training to um, uh, what we're doing, and 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 again, you know, reasonable prices and, and, and really updated and, and actionable CE that you can use. Uh, so so head on over and check them out as well. So uh, today, uh, I am, as always, uh, honored by my uh, my partner in crime, Jay Galdo, who's joining us. And uh, we are today going to talk uh, about a quick COVID update. And we tried to dodge that for a few weeks, but there's just no way to continually dodge it, right? So, uh, but we're not actually going to talk a ton about therapeutics today. Uh, we're actually going to talk a little bit about just some general stuff that I think healthcare providers are probably going to get questions about, and so uh, today we're gonna we're just going to kind of do kind of a, a potpourri, if you will, of of some of the latest info when it comes to uh, COVID and the vaccines in particular. So we're going to talk a bit about uh, uh, what uh, the CDC now recommends for vaccinated patients, what the, what what their uh, recommended activities can be. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, um, uh, some data looking at the three versus six foot distancing, and there's actually. Clip, a paper that, that takes a look at that. Uh, we could certainly wade into the AstraZeneca stuff and and in the interest of time uh, uh, and not driving everybody into a coma, we're not gonna do that. We're going to uh, hit the highlights of that as well. And then talk a little bit about uh, some very, very recent data. This is, this is being recorded uh, April Fool's Day. So hopefully you aren't getting fooled on anything. Uh, but just in the last five days, we've had papers out now looking at pregnancy and pregnant women and lactating uh, women in the COVID vaccine, as well as the, uh, a blurb from from Pfizer and, and, and adolescents. So uh, uh, enough of the enough of the intro. Let's get right into it because we do have a lot of data. And again, I appreciate uh, Jake and and he'll he'll be jumping in here in just a second to to take over. So uh, first, we're going to talk about the three versus six foot social distancing. I'm sure if you've uh, pay, uh, paid attention to the news or any social media, you've seen the CDC has changed its recommendations as far as as, as distance of feet and social distancing, particularly when it comes to school age uh, 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 kids going to school and 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 three versus six feet. Certainly. Currently at Drake, we, we're practicing the six foot social distancing in classes and things like that. Um, and the change in this was largely based on a paper that is currently uh, in the March 15th issue of uh, clinical infectious diseases. Um, this was a study that looked at, at community incidence rates in Massachusetts public schools. The objective was to take a look at, at three versus six feet in physical distancing. Um, and, 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 and this was in, in the context of, of a school year uh, where on the whole, Whole masking was was pretty much universal. So so again, before we before we talk about what what they did, I think it's important to, to point out that that this was in the in the uh, context of of staff and uh, faculty and students all universal masking. So keep that in mind. And uh, what they did was it was it was a cohort study where where, where they took a look at uh, uh, students in the Massachusetts school, public school system in grades K through 12, and then they also looked at at, at, at staff who participated in inpatient learning as well as, as district infection control plans. And then, then basically took a look at uh, uh, districts that had a three foot, because at this point, uh, some districts that had a three foot rule versus a, a districts that had a six foot rule as far as physical distancing. And they looked at incidence rate ratios. So basically the incidence of, of developing a, a COVID uh, infection, both students and staff members in districts and who had the three foot rule versus a six foot rule. Then they also did some uh, uh, logistic regression uh, models to take a look for, for the background community incidents, which is particularly important because if you have high background community incidents versus low background community incidents, that's obviously gonna play a, a role in, in, in the outcome of, of, of any sort of study like this. They uh, eventually took a look at 251 eligible school districts with over 500,000 students and almost 100,000 staff and faculty uh, during a 16 week period. Uh, they rep- This represented um, about 6 million student learning weeks. So I think everyone would agree that even though this is a, a co- study it's a pretty robust one and what they basically found was there was no difference they found that that student case rates were similar in the districts that had three foot uh, uh, distancing rules versus six foot distancing rules and this was true between the incidence ratios of both students and I think much more importantly uh, for staff because I think you know we all recognize that as, as staff are older they're more likely to have uh, some of the uh, risk factors that put people at, at, at severe COVID infection and they actually found that that there, there was actually no difference in cases between Either students uh, uh, or, or 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 faculty and staff, and then when they adjusted for community incidents, that difference didn't change as well. So so bottom line was this is a you know again only a cohort study, but maybe some of the best data we get on this that basically shows that it seems that especially in in the in the background of universal masking, uh, uh, um, uh, physical distancing of three feet versus six feet seems to be very similar as long as, as, as mask mandates seem to seem to be in place without negatively impacting student or staff. Safety. This will, of course, be very interesting to see what happens this fall. Um, you know, I was I was talking to a uh, one of the virologists that's that's on faculty at Drake, and and we kind of uh, were discussing when he thinks that that the that herd immunity will get hit and things will kind of get semi back to normal. He's pretty confident that this summer will 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 be the tail of the tape. I certainly hope he's right, or maybe even earlier. But if it doesn't, and if there are still some areas where there are hot spots, I think this is very good news uh, for for uh, school age children and probably as or more importantly their parents and guardians who who may have had to uh, have students at home for a long period of this last school year uh, at three feet distancing that's obviously going to make things a lot easier to get kids in the the class it's going to make it a lot easier for kids to to go to uh, uh, the cafeteria things along those lines so uh, again an important study uh, that the cdc has already kind of taken up uh, and and used uh, to change their their recommendations next thing we'll talk about is the astrazeneca vaccine which keep in mind is not yet approved in the United States though there are multiple sites all over the country that are doing phase three studies and actually in, in my uh, town of Des Moines, uh, one of our large clinics is actually one of the major uh, uh, um, uh, sites for the AstraZeneca vaccine studies. So uh, we've certainly seen patients here who've, who've received the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, uh, in or probably received it um, in, in, in in these phase three studies. Um, as you probably heard, there was some brouhaha between the uh, uh, the uh, FDA and uh, the manufacturer. Because there was some discrepancy as far as is is what they were reporting as effective um, and uh, just last Thursday, uh, there was a uh, uh, AstraZeneca actually re- released the, the entire phase three trial results that showed uh, that the vaccine was 76% effective against symptomatic uh, COVID, and, and uh, you know, as we've talked about on this podcast several times before, remember that the, the point of vaccines is not necessarily to pre- prevent infection, but to prevent serious disease, right? It's the same with, with the flu vaccine. You know, we always hear, you know, anti-vaxxer, you know, people who say, well, you know, the, the flu vaccine is only 20% effective every year. Yeah, it may only be 20% effective against, against you getting the flu, but it's, you know, 70 to 90% effective against you getting hospitalized or dying from it, which is far, I think what everyone agrees, far more important. And it's the same here. So, I mean, we're going to get, you know, 80% effective against Symptomatics uh, uh, COVID, um, which is still quite good. Good data. The reason they kind of got in hot water with with FDA was they had reported in their press press releases a slightly higher number at seventy nine percent. And so uh, uh, this was it was a PR snafu, unfortunately, um, which is is uh, uh, kind of I think uh, plagued AstraZeneca as we know because the other piece that AZ is facing is uh, issues in Europe where they're already widely using the AstraZeneca vaccine and reports of blood clots um, and and this we was reported now interestingly the european medicines association in late march actually took a look at at all the reports and just as a, as a marker of, of, of total people vaccinated and and actually fa- uh, released a, a, a report saying it was safe that 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 uh the incidence of clots was extremely small on the order of you know one in a hundred thousand or you know so you know point zero 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 one percent basically and 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 felt like like uh the, the numbers were quite small uh, individual members of the European Union have, have either agreed or disagreed with that, uh, for example, uh, Berlin just a couple of days ago actually suspended use of the AZ uh, vaccine uh, um, because of this issue of blood clots. Their own reports had suggested that about 30 patients of, of, of cerebral venous thrombosis had been reported in these recipients, including nine deaths. Um, so uh, w- while the data is, I think still, I think, still malleable, we don't really know exactly where we're at with this. Uh, I think the overall incidence, I think importantly, is still very, 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 very low, but it does seem like there might might be a, a, an uptick of, 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 of clots. Um, obviously, we need more data as, as time goes on. Uh, Canada has also stopped, or at least a couple of the provinces of Canada have also stopped administering the AZ vaccine uh, in patients under age 55, again, because of these reports of blood clots in Europe, uh, just on the theory that these patients are, are relatively uh, at low risk of having severe complications from it. Uh, they've, uh, uh, are, are still giving the vaccine to older patients who are at higher or patients who are at higher risk so you know again' we're, we only have a few minutes we're only going to touch the treetops on that but uh you know not an issue so far in the united states um i think we need just to st- continue to follow the data with with uh with az vaccine as far as safety i'm not i'm less concerned about efficacy i think it's a very robustly effic- efficacious vaccine so third thing we're going to talk about today is 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 uh, uh pregnancy i probably don't go um a, a week without getting at least one question in the Drug Information Center about you know I have a patient who's concerned about getting the COVID vaccine because they're you know they're they are pregnant and, and is that going to be safe? And uh, just a couple of days ago in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology a, a cohort paper came out. Uh, that took a look and answered the question and and uh, again keeping in mind that that it's always going to be difficult to recruit pregnant women for 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 studies. You know I've got quite quite uh, rightly I think most women pregnant women are probably a little reluctant to to volunteer for clinical studies. Um, but but this is our first you know, pretty solid report looking at this. So this was done in 131 reproductive age vaccine recipients, 84 of whom were pregnant, 31 were lactating and 16 were non-pregnant. And this was again, a a, a cohort study. Um, They then measured titers of uh, uh, um, COVID spike protein, uh, IgM, IgA, and IgG in these patients. And they looked in the, in their blood. They also looked in the breast milk and the lactating women. And then in the women who were pregnant and delivered, they actually measured cord blood levels uh, in 10, patients. So again, pretty, pretty, pretty robust uh, analysis. And what they basically found was that that uh, uh, vaccine-induced antibody titers were equally equivalent in pregnant women and lactating women compared to non-pregnant women. Um, they were virtually identical to each other. Um, and interestingly, uh, the titers uh, that that they found were actually higher in, than in, in, a, in a, a cohort of women who had COVID uh, infection during their pregnancy? So, so getting vaccinated, you actually had a more robust immune response than women who had actually uh, developed COVID during their pregnancy. Uh, they also found when they looked at the umbilical cord blood and breast milk samples that that uh, vaccine-generated antibodies were were there and actually were were were, neut- were at neutralizing antibody levels. And so, the good extra good news was that was that the antibodies uh, actually were transferred uh, via m- uh, maternal blood and breast milk. So, again, not a not a gigantic st- Study, but 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 good to learn that that uh, it seems that at least in this cohort that pregnant women do uh, generate robust humoral humi- uh, immunity to uh, to, uh, to COVID when they receive the vaccine and it would be similar to to non-pregnant women. Uh, there this is a small uh, study, so again a, a safety is, is is something they really didn't look at. But it was also I think good news that 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 uh, protection does seem to be transferred to, to 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 the baby via either placenta or breast milk. So that's kind of good news as well, and then finally really really hot off the press just yesterday march 31st uh, pfizer only in a press release did announce uh the uh, uh, results of uh, uh their uh, pfizer vaccine in uh, about 2200 adolescents age 12 to, uh, to 15 in the united states and what they found basically and uh, to, to, to not to put uh, fine to point a fine uh, to find a point on it, if I can talk, uh, was that it was 100% effective at at presenting, at preventing all infection, basically. And so uh, in this, in this cohort of about uh, 2,200 patients, uh, and they were divvied up pretty much, much uh, uh, half and half that in the vaccinated group, no one uh, uh, got COVID. uh, Whereas 18 cases of COVID were found in the placebo group. When they did immunogenicity studies, they found extremely strong antibody responses. So again, you know, uh, good information. And the study uh, safety uh, was very well tolerated, and and they did not find any unusual uh, uh, side effects. And in fact, uh, side effect numbers were were pretty much identical. Headache, fever, muscle aches for a day or so, uh, consistent with 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 older populations. So, haven't read the whole study yet. Uh, it'll be interesting to see when that comes out. But but bottom line is is we do have a couple of small, I think, but but good pieces of news about uh, the vaccine, and 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 so that that that, that that's that's kind of that's kind of good to hear. Now, uh, after hearing me blabber on for fifteen minutes uh i again reintroduce jay galdo who's uh, joining us and as a community-based pharmacist um he gets probably more questions than i do from patients because patients usually don't call the di center in my world uh you know about what to do now okay terrific you know uh you know what 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 can we do now that we've been vaccinated can we go back to normal so jake what what what, what what are you hearing on the street and what's some background you can give on that
0: yeah, thanks, Jeff, and thanks for having me on here. And it's kind of fun because we did our, our COVID clinic, and that was actually a, a question from a patient. She just looked at me and said, "All right, I got this. Now what? What like what can I go do? I want to go do something. What what what's my list?" <laughs> I want to go do I was something. Like uh, you, you need to still wait a little bit. Like that's right. in. Um but it, it was it was an interesting kind of question. I really enjoyed that the patient asked it. And then lo and behold, like a day or two later, the CDC is like, hey, we got guidance on this. Like, Fantastic. This is what we should talk about. Um, but before I kind of jump into what the CDC is providing guidance on, I think it's important to, to kind of understand where we are as a nation in regards to our, our immunization pathway. Um, we've currently given 148 million doses, um, which is really crazy, right? We, yeah. we talked about hitting maybe a hundred million doses um, in, in President Biden's first 90 days. And all of a sudden we're, we're now looking at 200 million and we are giving many millions of doses a day. And it's, it's surreal. And a lot of it's being driven by community pharmacists. And so go, go community pharmacists. They Absolutely. they've really stepped up. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and even though we hear 148 million doses, which is amazing, only 16% of the population is fully immunized. I'm down here in Alabama. Um, and I am on the, the cusp of two counties. Jefferson County is the big one with uh, Birmingham, and I'm in Shelby County a little bit uh, to the south, and Shelby County is uh, rocking out at, uh, or excuse me, Jefferson County is rocking out at about 12% vaccination rate, yet Shelby County is at six. Ooh. And so even though we're, we're seeing this, we're still seeing gaps. We're not seeing us um really hit this threshold because we need about 70 percent we need to get it much higher and it's really exciting that you pointed out that pfizer data uh, because what we're seeing is from a from a population health perspective the only way we're going to hit that 70 percent herd immunity is with with kids helping us out so i think it's really important for us to start to think about how we're going to start to immunize uh, pediatric patients and engage a a more fuller uh, population I was reading something. Uh, I'll admit it was on social media, Reddit, because that's what the—that's my my sin of social media. And then the statement was, "When when should we loosen standards?" Right? Because that's kind of our segue into what we can do now once va- vaccinated. And and there was a statement made that. Um, Maybe we should consider like lowering mask mandates, some of these uh, social distancing things, once we hit 50% of vaccination, and I feel like that's a a nice evidence based way to kind of gear towards how we can loosen our standards, but at the same time, like when I hear about Alabama, you know, not renewing a mask mandate at a state level um, in a couple of days and i'm in a county that has only six percent vaccinated it, it's concerning and so it is interesting to know like we're in the right direction but we can't uh we don't want to slip in this last uh five five percent less five steps of of that marathon that we've been running and it, it it's kind of scary because we're getting there where we might be falling because we're we're loosening the standards With that said, let's just talk about what what you can do once you're vaccinated, and I think it's really, really exciting. CDC has guidance. This guidance does update on a regular basis, Um, and they say that fully vaccinated people can visit with other fully vaccinated people indoors without wearing masks or physical distancing. It's like the holy grail of what we've been going for. We've got it. We have a recommendation that we can do it, which is super exciting. Additionally, um, a, a household, a single household that is fully vaccinated, uh, can also visit another household that is unvaccinated, um, though single households not multiple families from different places, just household to household. Um, and so vaccinated to unvaccinated, uh, again, without mass or physical distancing, if the unvaccinated household is at low risk of severe COVID-19 infections. And so that's really kind of the the big thing that we 've got going on if you 're vaccinated, you can hang out with un uh, with vaccinated people, single household to single household if you 're vaccinated, you can hang out with unvaccinated household again one to one as long as that unvaccinated household is at low risk of severe covid nineteen and the other top line kind of uh, big news, which is exciting, is that those that are fully vaccinated can now refrain from quarantining and testing if they, um, uh, have exposure to a known, uh, asymptomatic or er, excuse me, they can refrain from quarantine and testing of COVID-19 if they are exposed to COVID-19 and that fully vaccinated individual is asymptomatic. So again, kind of exciting to lessen the burden on those frontline workers. With all that good news, it is still important to recognize that those still fully vaccinated need to take precaution in public, like wearing our our double masks that we sometimes talk about and continue uh, physical distance, our social distancing. Uh, we need to make sure that if we visit unvaccinated people who are at an increased risk of severe COVID-19, so those with comorbid conditions, um, reduced immune responses, that we still um, wear our mask and are socially isolated or socially distanced from them. Um, We need to make sure that those that are are vaccinated get tested um, if they are experiencing COVID-19 symptoms. So again, if you're asymptomatic, you don't have to get tested if you're symptomatic you do have to get tested and we still want to avoid the medium or large size uh, in-person gatherings and and it is kind of important And this goes back to, to my patient at our clinic saying um, when we look at these guidance and we're hearing all these great things that we can now do that we are vaccinated um, the CDC says for the purpose of this guidance people are considered fully vaccinated um, for COVID-19 after it's been two or more weeks after they've received the second dose in the two-dose series, so that's our, our Pfizer um, or Moderna vaccine series, or two or more weeks after they received a single dose of the Johnson Johnson-Janssen vaccine. So again, this is a two-week period. So you get your vaccine, you've got to wait two weeks, then you can start hanging out with friends that are also vaccinated. Um, it's kind of funny because I vaccinated dad and then a day later, he's like, "I'm ready for a haircut." And I was like, "No, you gotta, you gotta wait. You're, you're fourteen days, yet. man. Like,
1: just, just did you, hold did off." You, did you volunteer to give him a bowl and say, "Give me, give me a bowl. Just put it over your head and give me some scissors. I can, I can, I can do your haircut." Yeah, so.
0: No, I, I, you know, I just throw him in the lake and, and, and wash it. That it'd, it'd be fine. Just walk it off, man. Yeah, walk it um, off. Don't visit exactly. anyway. Wear wear a hat, right? Um, and for those of you that, that, that are, are getting confused by, by my rambling right now and you don't want to listen to me, you know, visit the CDC's website. They have a really awesome infographic where it has like little households and color-coded dots and, and uh, whether it's a fully filled colored in dot or a dotted dot, um, and it tells you what you can do. So if you want the infographic, there's an infographic with the CDC, which I think is um, really helpful. Um, Currently, the the CDC has not updated travel recommendations, so whatever we were doing uh, pre-vaccines on the arrival, we're still kind of having that in place now, so there there hasn't been any change on travel recommendations. Um, And I think it's also important to recognize that fully vaccinated does not mean immune. You know, I've already heard case reports, so our anecdotal stories, where people get their vaccine, they wait two weeks, they go travel to say hi to a family member that they haven't seen in over a year, and then they get COVID-19 and it's unfortunate, but it happens. And when it does happen, we are very fortunate in the fact that it's less severe COVID-19 infections. They're not hospitalized. And those are all still wins from the vaccine perspective. But again, uh, just because we're vaccinated does not mean we are
1: immune. Right. And I think that's um, a, you're, you're right. That's a that, that is an important piece. There's been lot, you know, in fact just the other day I saw in uh, in in the news about, you know, Washington State had reported, you know, I think thirty or forty cases of of patients fully vaccinated who had who had who had then developed symptoms and, and had had symptomatic COVID nineteen. Remember that you know, no vaccine is hundred percent effective. And and again, you know, as something we've mentioned earlier is that, you know, these vaccines were not designed to prevent you from ever getting the disease, that getting the infection, they were prevented for you to get super sick from the infection. And that's what they're, that's what they're very, very effective at doing, so.
0: And, and exactly. And then, so it's still exciting. We're still seeing benefits. And it's kind of funny because, you know, dad got uh, the, the Johnson and Johnson. And it's interesting. Some people really want that one because they want one shot and done. Whereas some patients, uh, like my dad, saw the top line efficacy number and said, I want the 95%, not the, not the 66, 70%. And so then I used your recommendation, Jeff. And I said, that, that's a great number, but what we're worried about is hospitalization. And he was okay with it. He rolled with it. And then after I gave him a shot that afternoon, I was checking on him. And he's like, yep. So I think in the spring, I'm going get, to get a booster with Pfizer. And I'm like, what, where did you hear that from?
1: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the, 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 the infamous Pfizer booster shot that isn't out there yet. So yeah, yeah.
0: Great. Yeah. Right. The, the, uh, the things that parents want. So, yes, indeed. Um, yes, indeed. So, yeah. But I think like, the, the final kind of takeaway that I have for for our our kind of uh, fully vaccinated and what this means is, again, we, we talked about you don't have to quarantine if exposed. Um, however, if we have non health care, if we have a non health care congregate setting like a group home or a correctional facility, we, we still even those that are fully vaccinated will want to quarantine for 14 days in those populations
1: right i there's a there's an ongoing study right now determining you know the infectivity of patients uh who have the vaccine you know you know are they able to transmit the infection to other people and i think uh, until that paper comes out and we know um you know that that, that, that you know the, the cdc guidelines are really important for this and you know again talking to people i know who are, who are much smarter than me in, in the world of virology you know their concern is that is that uh you know we already have several examples of of, of vaccines that we have that Don't aren't that are good at protecting the person from getting serious disease, but not so good at at at, at preventing that person from them transmitting the disease to somebody else, transmitting the infection to somebody else. So yeah, we you know as as Jake pointed out, now is not the time to 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 to, you know say okay, well back back to where we were before. I think we're really heading there. I think we're getting close, and everybody's tired, and 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 everybody's ready to kind of get back to normal. And so you know it's it's easy it's easy to to to, it's easy to find, I think, you know, some confirmation bias out there. If you want to go ahead and search, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, uh, news you use or, or social media you use, you can probably find something that says, no, it's okay to do that. And, and again, you know, that, you know, we've, we, we, we really should take a look at the science and, 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 and try to do our best to protect people. We've seen an uptick in my hospital. Fortunately, it hasn't been super duper sick people, but, but we've definitely, definitely seen an uptick in my hospital of COVID cases. And we're really hoping that this is the last little bump, little little, wave before before that disappears. I I was telling some friends the other day that if we can go if I can go four to six weeks with no new COVID cases on either of my services, I will I will think that we're maybe heading toward it kind of toward out of the woods if if at all possible. So well, thanks, uh, Jake, for, very much for, for that update. Um, again, a lot of information kind of thrown at you guys today, um, but you know that's how COVID rolls. I mean, it seems like every day there's something new, and, and you can't go more than two or three days without you know new guidelines or a new study looking at something or or new vaccine stuff. So, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, wherever you're practicing, you'll find this information of value. And certainly, as we get questions, uh, no matter what healthcare profession you are, as you get questions from patients, hopefully, this will kind of help uh, 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 deal with those questions. And as Jake points out the infographic of that the CDC really does a really good job of, of laying out you know what what is probably relatively safe to do and not so we'll be back in just a second to wrap things up but first a word from CE Impact. So overall, some really good news I think about the vaccine, especially in in, in populations we didn't have as good information about before, which is is, is pregnant women, uh, women who are breastfeeding, and and adolescents, and, and it seems like the vaccine seems to work pretty good there. Uh, the A Z vaccine, you know, I, I think is 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 a, a story in progress, and we just got to keep our ear to the ground and see what happens. But I still think that 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 uh, that based on the European Medicine uh, Agency's uh, analysis, the, the 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 overall benefit is still going to far. Away, the risk and the people who that's the vaccine that's open to them so that's, that's something to think about and then finally yeah you know uh, this the cdc is definitely you know uh, responding to data and they're changing their information maybe that's the, maybe that's the sign of, of 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 good scientists good scientists change their 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 uh their viewpoint and change their recommendation based on the data that comes out and and don't have their 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 initial uh, thoughts you know put in concrete and so we've got to be willing to be flexible as well and and, and use those guidelines to, help, to help you know, get us towards some semblance of normal. Uh, that's it for this uh, uh, week of, of Game Changers. Next week, no COVID, huh? <laughs> I hope. Uh, next week, no, no, no COVID talk. Um, but anyway, thank you for listening. Again, head over to where you uh, to get, your, get your podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to us. And uh, finally, head over to CE Impact and take a look at some of the stuff that they've got going on. So we'll catch you next week. But remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care.